first lesson for this fifth Sunday after Epiphany is found recorded in the book of Job, chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. Isn't man's time on earth like being compelled to serve in the army? Aren't his days like those of a hired man? Like a slave, he longs for shade, or like a day laborer, he waits for his pay. In the same way, I have been allotted months of futility, and nights of agony have been assigned to me. When I lie down, I think, how long before I get up? But then the night drags on, and I am filled with restlessness until dawn. My flesh is closed with make with my my flesh is clothed with maggots and caked with dirt. My skin scabs over and then oozes again. My days pass more swiftly than the shuttle of a weaver's loom. They come to an end without hope. Remember that my life is just a breath. My eyes will never again see good fortune. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at the 16th verse. St. Paul writes, You see, if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast about, because an obligation is laid on me. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I do this as a volunteer, I receive compensation. But if not... I have been entrusted with the responsibility as a steward. What then is my compensation? To present the gospel of Christ free of charge when I preach it. Instead of making use of the right I have when I preach the gospel. In fact, although I am free from all, I enslaved myself to all so that I might gain many more. To the Jews I became like a Jew, so that I might gain Jews. To those who are under the law I became like a person under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might gain those who are under the law. To those who are without the law I became like a person without the law, though I am not without God's law, but am within the law of Christ so that I might gain those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, so that I may gain the weak. I became all things to all people, so that I may save at least some. And I do everything for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in it along with others. This is the word of the Lord. We read from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, beginning at the 29th verse. They left the synagogue and went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed sick with a fever. Without delay, they told Jesus about her. He went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening, when the sun had set, the people kept bringing to him all who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. He healed many people who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. But he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Jesus got up early in the morning while it was still dark and went out. 
he withdrew to a solitary place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him, and when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He told them, Let's go somewhere else, to the neighboring villages, so that I can preach there too. In fact, that is why I have come. Then he went throughout the whole region of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. For the beginning with this Sunday, we are going to be preaching on each of the stained glass windows. We begin with the very first one on Genesis chapter 2, the creation account specifically of Adam and Eve. And also, following our prayer this morning, I will have a general dedication of all the stained glass windows and, and along with it, a prayer. So, with that in mind, I want to draw your attention to a number of passages uh, or selected passages from Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made every kind of tree grow, trees that are pleasant to look at and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and settled him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. The Lord God gave a command to the man. He said, you, are freely, you may freely eat from every tree in the garden, but you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day that you eat of it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is suitable partner for him. Out of the soil the Lord God had formed every wild animal and every bird of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that became its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found, who was suitable partner for him. The Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. As the man slept, the Lord God took a rib and closed up the flesh where it had been. The Lord God built a woman from the rib that he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, Now this one is born of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and will remain united with his wife, and they will become one flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Oh, it was probably during my first or second year in the ministry that I received a phone call from my member. It was a, a young man. He was in college, and he needed help on one of his classes. It was speech class. And he decided to choose for his speech topic, creation and evolution. His question to me was simply this. Pastor, can you help me in putting together a speech where I prove 
creation to be right and evolution to be wrong. I didn't know what to say. And for those of you who are thinking, we better mark our calendar because pastor didn't have an answer. I did have an answer, but I had to give it some thought. What could I use that could prove creation right and evolution wrong? You see, you could use science, but science doesn't necessarily prove the creation account right, and nor does it prove it wrong. Now, you could use science to disprove evolution, and for that very reason, I do not believe that the theory of evolution is scientific at all. But what could you use? I'd honestly tell him that whether you believe in the creation account or whether you believe in the theory of evolution, the honest truth is, the key word is belief. This is your belief. This is what you believe in. So as brothers and sisters of the Lord God Almighty, we hold to his holy word and believe in the creation account. And anything contrary to the creation account, we know to be a lie. Yes, God created the entire world in six 24-hour days using nothing but his almighty word. He created out of nothing until we get to the last day, the sixth day, where he did use something to create. Again, all the other days was he would just simply say, let there be and there was. Not even science can create out of nothing. And that's why God is even above science. He's the one who actually created science. But, to consider this on the last day, when we get to the sixth day, God actually used the ground, the dust of the ground, that light earth, and that loose earth, and he used it to form the animals. And the day before, he actually used the earth to even form the birds. And using that dust of the ground to form the animals is the one thing we have in common with the animals. But there's where it ends. When God created man, he created him from the dust of the ground. But unlike the animals, God did something completely different. He went and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the, and the word that says he became a living being literally can be translated, he became a living soul. So the Lord blessed man with a body that was formed from the dust of the ground, but also placed within him a soul. So in a nutshell, you and I are simply made up of dirt, dust, and God's breath. And clearly God's breath, the more important part, reminding us that if God breathed into us himself, we're not only created to God by God, we belong to the Lord God. Out of, every time I read this sentence, the one word that always holds a dear place in my heart is that word formed. It isn't the normal word that he created out of nothing. And it isn't just the, the other word that means, well, he just made them. The word formed is actually specifically the word for a potter. Who will, who will 
you know, work that clay and turn it into a masterpiece. He gets his hands dirty and he takes great care as he molds that piece of pottery. And so every pottery he makes is a masterpiece. And of course, God doesn't make junk, so every one of us then technically have been made with great care. Even when we were put together in our mother's womb, it was the Lord God Almighty that made us and made us into a masterpiece. And why I find this so comforting to hear is that God himself would take time for each and every one of us. We're not an accident. But, let's face it, we live in a world that puts so much emphasis on beauty and what is beauty and what is beauty going to look like. And, and what's the, the perfect size? And, and, and what's the perfect feet? And, and what's the perfect hair? And, and everything has to be just so. And there's even tons of magazines that you can look at to find out what the latest trend is on beauty. And they're selling these magazines in the billions. All in the name of beauty. Because that way I'll feel good about myself. But what happens if you don't meet the standard of beauty? Does that automatically mean you're ugly? Does that automatically mean you're worthless? Does that automatically mean you're not fit to even live? No. No matter what size we are, beauty is not in the, in the eye of the beholder. Beauty is in the eyes of the Lord who with his very hands made you. Each and every one of you is God's masterpiece. When the Lord made man, he did not simply leave him to his own fate and, say to him, and said to him, well, good luck now. He actually created the entire world for man. And, in fact, out of that entire world, he actually made a special garden for man. And that garden would be called the Garden of Eden. And it was filled with all kinds of trees. Here, the man would make his home. Here is where the man would be able to eat his food. Because the Lord told him to eat from all the trees and no doubt the vegetation as well. But what is truly amazing is after God put man in that garden to live, he didn't stop there. He also told man to rule it and take care of it and, and to manage what, what was now going to be his home. So it is not the king of the jungle being the lion. Man was to be the king of the jungle. He was to manage it and oversee it and take care of it. And even to this day, we should always be concerned about our planet and always concerned to take care of it. Because right now, this is where we're living. But then God didn't stop there. After giving man the blessing of work itself, he also told him, that you could eat from all the trees, including the tree of life, but you cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember, two trees in the middle of the garden were very special. 
tree of life. If man would have eaten from that tree, he would have lived forever in a sinless state. Remember, this is all before sin came into the world. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the tree he told him, do not eat of it or you will surely die. Now why would God put these two trees here? To test man, to test his loyalty, to see if a man is, is going to do what God commands? Well, God is the God who knows everything. God knew what he was going to do. So why would God put these two trees there? It's like putting out a bowl of candy and telling your kids not to eat it and guarantee they'll put their hand in the bowl. I agree with Dr. Martin Luther who said it wasn't God who was simply testing them and it wasn't certainly God trying to trick them. But rather, these two trees became their church. It became their altar. It became their pulpit and lectern. Here is where man could worship the Lord God Almighty because worship in its most basic form is always do what God commands and don't do what God forbids. Yes, the basic do's and don'ts. And they had the opportunity to actually show their great love for God who loved them first and gave them the entire world. So God gave them the blessing of worship. So we have the home, we have work, we have worship. All of these very important for the existence of man. But what happens is we are tempted to start to treat one or two of these more important than the other. And that's where we get ourselves into trouble. When all of a sudden, when work becomes so important that we forget our home, and the care of our home, which includes our family. Or we get so wrapped up in, in our home and, and in our work and, and thinking that, well, money is what's going to give me happiness, so the more I have, the happier I have to be. And we get so wound up in, in being workaholics that we overlook the importance of worship itself. For not only does our body need food to survive and water to drink, but our very soul needs the bread of life and the water of life, who is Jesus Christ, our Savior. My dear friends, don't ever take for granted the importance of worship. When the Lord God in the third commandment said, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, he wasn't talking about simply reading your Bibles at home and stay alone and keep away from others. No, that was always meant to be public worship, where we take a portion of our week and, and, and set it aside as we gather together around God's holy word, knowing that the end is coming. And not only do we need the Lord, but in the Lord, we need each other as we encourage and love and, yes, even warn and rebuke each other to keep the faith in Christ Jesus, our Savior. Home, work, worship. You would think that the world was already perfect, but it wasn't. There was something missing. And Lord knew this before even Adam knew this. In fact, in order to get Adam to realize it, 
It was God who told Adam to go and name all the animals, the land animals, including the birds in the sky. And as Adam named each of the creatures, he realized he didn't have a female. He didn't have a suitable partner like the animals all did. And by the way, isn't it amazing that we're hearing that Adam named the animals? That he wasn't some cave dweller and some caveman who simply communicated by pointing and grunting. He was a man blessed with intelligence. Because whatever he named that animal, that was its name. When Adam realized he didn't have a suitable partner, it was then that we hear of the first surgery when God placed man into a deep sleep and, and took out his rib and closed up the place with flesh. And from that rib, he will make a woman, a female, that will complement him. And from this female, he didn't make her from the dust of the ground and breathe into her nostrils the breath of life. No, he made her from Adam's rib. And what do you think that that must have taught Adam? This is my rib. This is my body. He even speaks so in his very first marriage vows, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. That was her first name. Woman, which means taken from man, comes from man. And specifically his rib. This was his body, not his punching bag. This was his body, not his plaything. This was his body, not his slave, who isn't much higher than the animals. This was his body. This was his helpmate. And a special creation from God himself to never be abused and misused, ever. There is no room for chauvinism, especially in the realm of marriage. My dear friends, is when God brought the woman to Adam, he gives this instructions concerning marriage. A man will leave his father and mother and will remain united with his wife and they will become one flesh. So it was God who instituted marriage. And I can't say it enough that marriage is not man's institution to do with it whatever he wants. Marriage is God's institution and a God-pleasing marriage will always be between one man and one woman who are truly singles in God's eyes, in other words, not married to someone else, and who has that unconditional commitment to live together for life. It is God who brings a couple together, and it is God who ends that marriage. And therefore, couples must work on their marriages, always understanding this is God's institution, not mine to do with what I want. And therefore use, or therefore understand that your marriage is a blessing from God. And I pray that you never, never fall victim in ever seeing your spouse 
as anything but a blessing from God. God created man and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. God gave man home and work and worship. God created marriage, instituted it. And after that all happened, God said, it was very good. And he stopped creating. On the seventh day, he rested and declared it holy, that seventh day. And it wasn't like God simply was done creating and therefore left man to his own fate. God continued to create, not out of that nothing, but continued to create, preserving and guarding and watching over this entire world and universe. And so when it comes to the creation account, when you look at that stained glass window and see Adam and Eve in it, I pray that what you see in that stained glass window is what God has done. It is God who made them. It is God who blessed them. And it is God who made and blesses each and every one of us. But also when you look at that stained glass window, I pray that you see the three pictures within a picture. I pray that you see the white pictures. Like on top, the dove, which certainly could represent all the birds in the sky that God created. But in this case, the, the dove reminds us of the Holy Spirit who came upon Jesus at his baptism in the form of a dove. When the cloud, when the God the Father said from the cloud, this is my son. It was the Holy Spirit who was there at creation. We know this from Genesis 1, for he hovered over the waters of the deep. The next picture is the lamb who could certainly represent all the land animals, but in this case, it is more than that. For it was John the Baptist who said as Jesus was walking by, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The lamb reminds us of the Savior who with his perfect life offered it on the cross, paying for our sins and paying for them in full. And then you will see the flower. It is an Easter lily. And yes, it could represent all the plants that, that God placed on the earth that man could use and enjoy and see its beauty. But in this case, the Easter lily points us to the resurrection because at his resurrection, we have the proof that Jesus is God. We have the proof that there is life after death. We have the proof that sins have been paid in full. God's invitation is believe it. And through faith in him, we are saved. Now you could say that none of those would really be there at creation because Genesis chapter 2 is perfect. But keep in mind, Genesis chapter 2 leads to Genesis chapter 3. And Genesis chapter 3 is the fall into sin. And so this stained glass window points ahead to the Savior that you and I need. So all praise and glory to our God who not only made us, but who has saved us. And this day, we will be dedicating that window along with the others. But in particular, that window, 
which reminds us all praise and glory to our Lord. And we dedicate the window to the praise and glory of our Lord. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.